You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. So we're just looking at uh, the first two verses here in Genesis 1, and I want to read them a couple times for us, all right? So... Um, Sometimes it's good for us to slow down and just kind of hear the word of the Lord. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I'll read it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. This is the word of the Lord, it is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for the gift of music. What a joy it is to sing, to shout out, to clap, um, to just feel the vibration of even drums. God, I just give you thanks for that. Because there's much to celebrate, there's much to give glory to you for how you have been so kind and so generous to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. And we ask that you would help us to understand your word this morning, God. And not only understand it, God, may you just help us to walk away from here, different people, being moved by the spirit of God, being empowered to live in a different way, Lord, in this coming week. And we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So today we start a new series. We've entitled this series Sacred. And so we're going to spend uh, 11 weeks in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Cheston, a good friend of ours, who's back there doing sound this morning. Thank you, Cheston, for the way you serve. Uh, We always do kind of a huddle at 825 with everybody that's serving uh, within a Sunday morning. We do some prayer time. And so Cheston and in wonderful fashion, said, yeah, it took God six days to create the earth. It's going to take us 11 weeks to work through two chapters. And so, uh, yeah, one for Cheston, drop your mic, brother. That was a good one. I uh, love it. We will spend one week in Genesis chapter three, but one of the reasons why we want to spend um, this much time in two chapters of the, of the book of Genesis is because sometimes we have a tendency uh, to only, um, or, or tendency to kind of start at Genesis three that the world is broken, that we're sinful, broken, horrible creatures. Um, And sometimes I think we do that at the expense of the goodness of creation. I would even put before you at the goodness of humanity. The Bible does say in Psalm 139 that you are wonderfully and beautifully created. In Genesis 1 and 2, the pinnacle, the climax of his creation was us. So hear me, all right? Don't tackle me after the service. 
Sometimes we can emphasize the glory of God to the diminishment of humanity. And I don't think God did that. Yes, we're broken. Yes, we are sinful. Yes, totally agree with all that. But at the same time, look at me. We are beautiful people because we are made in the image of God. And so we want to sit in chapters one and two for several weeks to kind of, like I like to call it, marinate a little bit in the goodness of creation, in the goodness of what God has spoken into existence. If there's a a verse that kind of summarizes the heart of the series, it's in verse 31 of chapter one of Genesis. And it says this, and God saw everything that he had made, everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Yes, sin has left its stain. It's brought a ton of brokenness in our world. And maybe over the last 18 months, we've probably felt that more than maybe we ever have. But at the same time, just because sin has left its stain, it's not, it's not undid the goodness of creation. And I love what Hannah Anderson says on her book, All That Is Good. And if I could recommend some books to you, if you're a reader, here are a few books. If you just have time to read two books in 11 weeks, then I would recommend you to read these two books. If you only have time to read one of these, I would recommend you read this one. These are both books by Hannah Anderson. This one is Made for More, which is basically kind of unpacking all of Genesis 1, being made in the image of God. And this is a book on discernment, all that is good. So these kind of go hand in hand. But if you read one, here you go. If you want to read both, that would be awesome. You'd be like, maybe super Christian, I don't know, but something like that. If you want to really, really kind of go another level, here's three, all right? Uh, Joe Rigney wrote a book several years ago called uh, Things of the Earth. You guys have heard me talk about that book quite often, so encourage you to grab that one also. A lot of that's in that book is inspired this series. But Hannah Anderson says this in her book, All That Is Good, a book about discernment. She says this, the goal of discernment is not simply to avoid the evil in this life. It is to, look at it, learn what is good so that I might embrace and enjoy it. So discernment is not just knowing what is evil and avoiding it. Actually, discernment is learning what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, what is pure, and enjoying that. She goes on to say this uh, about the damage and brokenness that is in our world due to sin. If we are not careful, the damage can be so distracting that you can entirely miss the goodness of what is in front of you. And I would say a hearty amen to that. All of us are tempted to see all the brokenness and what is wrong in the world at the expense of seeing what is good. And what I hope will happen in part in this series is that we would begin to train our senses to be able to see the good that is sometimes right in front of us. The good of a a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Amen? I feel so bad for those of you that have peanut allergies. In the new heavens and the new earth, you will not have a peanut allergy. And you will get to enjoy the beauty and the goodness of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Amen? And so what, I, what part of I'm after is, is I'm trying to like make these connections even in my own life. I've not arrived at any stretch of the imagination. But there's something about the enjoying of a, of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that teaches me something about the goodness and the beauty of God. And in me enjoying that, I want to enjoy him. And that's part of what I'm 
wanting to lean into a little more as we work through these two chapters. I'm not trying to create um, Christians who are um, like aloof to all that's going on in our world or, or, or just kind of tone deaf or we're just like, you know, yeah, I know my house is on fire, but God is good. It's like, no, I'm not wanting that. That's not what I'm after, right? I'm after us being able to see the brokenness of this world and call it what it is. And at the same time, be able to celebrate and enjoy the good that sometimes is right in front of us. So if I had to kind of express what are some desires that I have for this series or what kind of my, my burdens, I don't know how you would have described this, but one of them is this. I think what will happen as we work through this over the next 11 weeks, it'll be a way of value and forming and shaping. So there are, there are things about things that you experience with us within a culture here. So like we care about beauty. We do care about what our building looks like. We do, like as we walked out in the atrium, hopefully last Sunday you saw all those beautiful little paintings that was from our students, our S2 lead, uh, people here that put those things together. We, like we wanna put beauty out there. We care about what our building looks like. And that's partly because of what it says in Genesis one and two. We care about rest. We wanna be people that rest here. We value rest around here. And that's partly because God rested. He worked six days and the seventh day he rested. So I think hopefully as we work through this together, you'll see it kind of being this um, value informing and will continue to shape what we as a culture experience with our church. The second one is this, is that it's kind of identity informing and shaping also. And so you guys have heard me say this before, but I, like, I don't think our identity is something we go out and discover on our own. I mean, you can do that, and people do that all the time, but I don't think that's a, that's a good route to go. I think what we, what we want to do is we've got to realize our identity is something that is revealed to us. Our identity is something that is given to us, and, and part of our, our work as male and female is to continue to learn, like, okay, what has God said about me that informs how I am to live? And Genesis 1 and 2 teaches us a lot about our own identity and answering that question, who are we? I love what Hannah Anderson says in her book, Made for More, and I think it's a quote on the screen here. Your identity, everything that you, from, from where you were born uh, to the person you were married or didn't marry, to what you love to do, everything that you used to define who you are. Everything that you see in the mirror each morning relates directly and unequivocally to him. So in order to know yourself, you first have to know him. And in order to know who you are, you must first know who he is. And that's why the third thing that I pray that this series does for us is that it will be God informing and shaping. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do in these two chapters, there's a lot we're going to learn, but we, we want to learn who God is. You see, Genesis was written not necessarily originally for us, right? It was written for the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel spent 400 plus years in Egypt where they worshiped multiple gods. And so when God rescued them, there was a whole lot of unlearning that they needed. And there was a whole lot of relearning that they needed. And what essential to that is like, who is God? Who is this one that's revealed himself as the I am? Who is this one that has rescued us out of the land of Egypt? Who 
is God. And to that end is what I want to do this morning in these two short verses. So I just want to bring out two really, really important truths that we learn about God in these two verses. The first one is really obvious, but I think we've got to state the obvious, all right? I don't want to leave here assuming that everyone gets this, but I want to state what is obvious. And the first one is this, is that God is the creator of all things. God is the creator of all things. I get it. There are all kinds of theories out there on how this this, this world and you came into being. I get that. And I would put before you that you have to believe those by faith. And at the same time, we also believe this by faith. As the writer of Hebrews says, it is by faith that we believe everything that is visible and invisible was created by God. And that's what we see here in verse one of chapter one. Look what it says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. It does not say, and thank God it does not say, in the beginning, Lyle, right? Can I get an amen, right? It does not say, in the beginning, fill your name in there. No, it begins with God. So that tells us a whole lot. The first thing it tells us is this, is that this is a story about God. He's the author of the story, and it's a story that's helping us understand who he is. So he has graciously and kindly chosen to reveal himself to us so that we are not left with like, I'm not sure who God is. No, we know who God is because he's showing us who he is in the beginning, God. So when I come to the word of God, I don't, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do this. Please hear me. All right. Sometimes we're I can, I'm not laying a burden on you, so if you get up in the morning and you do this, it's not like, oh, goodness gracious, you're going to have a horrible day. God's going to strike you dead. But we don't go to the Bible searching for who I am first. We'll get there. We actually will get there in a few weeks. We first go to the Bible asking this question, who is God? Who is he? So in the beginning, God, and what happened is he created the heavens and the earth. This very first verse here gives us sort of a, a formal introduction to this entire section that's going on here in chapter one and expresses at the outset with majestic brevity. In English, it's five words. In Hebrew, three. So it's expressing in majestic brevity the main thought of this section and that main thought is this. God who himself has no beginning and no end merely speaks a word of command in order to bring into being everything else that exists. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and heavens and the earth is shorthand for the entire universe. And we're still trying to figure out how big it is. Amen? It's crazy. We're st we still have no idea how big the universe is. And it says, in the beginning, God created it. And we'll find out next week that he just spoke. <laughs> that word create there is something that only God does. All throughout the Old Testament, the verb is used only of God. So that tells me this, that God is the only one who creates. Yes, we make stuff. Amen? I make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich every once in a while. I fry it up every once in a while. I toast it every once in a while. We make stuff, but only God is the one who creates uniquely, and the way that he creates uniquely is that he creates out of nothing. 
God is creator of all things. First big truth that we learn about God here in verse one. So follow me. If God is the creator of all things, then that means he is therefore the Lord over all things. And if he's the Lord over all things, then therefore, guess what? He owns all things. Amen. No one would disagree with that. And if God owns all things, then also, guess what? You and I belong to him. Whether you believe in God or not, you belong to him. Look how David says this in Psalm 24. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Why, David? Why do you make such a declaration? That seems a little arrogant, seems a little far-fetched. Why do you make that declaration? Verse two, for, for God, that's who he is here laid its foundations on the seas and established it on the rivers. God is creator, then all of creation belongs to him. It's the logical conclusion that all of us make. If you create something or if you make something and it's of your stuff that you bought, whatever it is, guess what? No one's gonna argue with you. It belongs to you, you, you own it. And here, I would put before you is not the only problem we have, but it is problematic for us because Christianity is a declaration that God has legitimate claim on all of our lives. This is where it becomes problem. Like, I would put before you that even if, if you get to a place where you can say God is, is creator, you kind of like, all right, I, I kind of get there, all right. But if you, if you do believe that God is creator, then you've got to kind of take its logical conclusion down a little bit. And that logical conclusion, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, whether it doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual perspective, like you belong to him then. If he is creator, then you belong to him. And Christianity is a declaration of that truth that God has legitimate claim on all of our lives. So the issue that is always before us as a humanity is this desire of independence. There's a, and maybe I'm bleeding into Genesis three just a little bit. Let me do it just for a minute, all right? There's a little bleeding in here, all right? There's a bend in all of us. There's a bend in all of us to believe the lie that I become fully alive when I'm fully free from God. Look, you can be a Christian here and that lie's still there. It's still there. And you operate sometimes out of that little lie. And if we would look at our lives, definitely look at the whole of the Bible, you will see that when that is lived out, then that's when life really gets painful, disintegrating, falling apart, because you as a created being are not supposed to live in independence from God. So what you see here in the Bible, as well as as you observe humanity, is this running away, this pushing away from this reality. And then you have a God who is patiently 
and lovingly pursuing after his humanity. Are you following me? So what you see, and you see it in your own life, guys, I see it in my life. You see this kind of constant pushing away. What did Isaiah say? Uh, Isaiah said that we, are, we have all, like sheep, what? Have gone astray. Each of us has kind of gone on our own way. There's this constant pushing away from him that, hey, I can be fully alive if I'm away from God. We're pushing away, pushing away. But here's God who's so patient, right? So kind. Constantly pursuing after humanity. Now, if you're listening to me, right, you should be raising a question. How do you know that God would do that? Like, if he's creator of all things, almighty God, how do you know? I mean, you can almost make it feel like it can be kind of cold being this massive, unbelievably powerful being, right? So how do you know that then God has this posture toward humanity of patience, kindness, and a pursuit after him? Well, great question if you're asking that. Because I would say that God is not first and foremost creator. In fact, what we see in the first two verses of Genesis chapter 1 is that God is first and foremost triune. And some of you are going, oh my, are we really going to try to explain the Trinity in like 15 minutes? Is that what we're going to do? I'm going to try, right? I don't think I can explain the Trinity if I had five years to talk about it, amen? But it is absolutely important for us to see that God is not, listen to me, yes, he is creator, but first and foremost, that's not how he's revealed himself to us. First and foremost, he is triune. He's a, his nature is Trinitarian. It's really important for us to get this. Look at verse two here. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depth. So what we see here is it's pitch black. There's no light at all. All that exists is formless, empty, dark. It's a, a deep ocean here, so to speak. Nothing can grow or develop on this earth. It's utter chaos. This describes for us God's incomplete creation. Now, what will follow in chapters one here, and we'll come back to that next week, encourage you to come back, is how this chaos, this incomplete creation becomes a very good cosmos. It's beautiful, overflowing with life, sacred place. We'll see that next week. But look what he says in verse four. So the earth is formless, void, dark, and then there's hope. And what is the hope? The spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the waters. What is this? Who's the Spirit of God? What in the world is going on? Well, we know because we have the fuller revelation, and Israel did not know this when they first read the book of Genesis here, but we know because we have this fuller kind of progressive revelation of who God is, that God is the, the, the Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. And what we'll see next week when we come back, we'll see God said, God said, God said. It's how he created this world. God said, God said. And then if we fast forward all the way to John chapter 1, we see that this word is actually a person. I mean, follow me. Look what he says here in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Whoa, whoa, hold on, right? I thought it said in the beginning was God. 
Now, John, in the beginning was the word. Are you, are you a heretic? What are you talking about? He goes on. And the word was what? Was, was with God? So is there two? What, like what in the world's going on here? And the word was God. I mean, that one little phrase like should blow your mind out. That one, what is that, like 10 words? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What in the world is going on here? Amen? Can I have a little confusion? All right, just a little bit? Maybe not. Maybe it was like with me the whole time. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning, and all things were what? Created through him. So who is this person? What's the mystery here? Well, John takes a little pause, and then he picks it up in verse 14, and he says this, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name is Jesus. So right from the start here in Genesis chapter one, in just two verses here, there's a mystery that's being introduced about the very nature of who God is and how he has eternally existed. And we call it the Trinity. And Wayne Grudem, who's wrote tons of stuff, is a phenomenal theologian, summarizes the Trinity in these ways. God is three persons, Each person is fully God and there is one God. God is three persons. Each person is fully God and there is one God. In short, in this one God, there are three separate co-equal persons. How do you get your mind fully around this? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. There is obviously a grand mystery here, but by faith, we see that God has revealed himself to be this kind of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Another way of thinking about this, another way of thinking about this, what was God doing before creation? So this is the way I visualize it here. I'm not great with art, just bear with me, all right? If I was better with PowerPoint, I can make some kind of cool little thing here, but this is the best I can do, amen? Okay, not a lot of amens going on today, so... But that's, that's, that's the visual I'm trying to say. Like, what was going on in that time? Because in the beginning, this, the beginning of the story is not the beginning of God. So what was God doing before in the beginning God, right? Well, Jesus tells us, John 17, look what he says. And it's so important for us to get this, guys, because this helps us see the motive, the why behind creation. Look what he says here in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because, because, what does he say here? You loved me before the creation of the world. So follow what Jesus is saying here about God, that before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything ever existed, this God was a father loving his son. So this God who has revealed himself to us, not first and foremost as creator. Is he creator? Yes. But that's not who God has revealed himself to us first and foremost. He hasn't first and foremost revealed himself as king. Is he a king? Yes. But that's not what he's revealed himself first and foremost. He is a father. That's why the Apostles' Creed, right? If you don't know what the Apostles' Creed is, it's, it's, a, it's a creed, right? It's just 
Define the word with the word, amen, right? It's like, whatever. But listen what it starts with. I believe in God. It doesn't say the Almighty first. It doesn't say, I believe in God, the Almighty or creator of heaven and earth. Is that a true statement? Yes, it is. But the fathers, early fathers, had enough understanding about what was first and foremost in the revelation of who God is to where they said, I believe in God the Father. And so then that helps us see, guys, look, that God creates as a father. He rules as a father. He loves as a father. He's a king like a father. It is absolutely necessary for us to see that because God is not just after your belief. He's not. He's not just wanting you to believe in God. He wants you to love him. Not because he needs it, right? We need it. But God was in, in a perfect, beautiful, loving relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for all eternity. And so he's not needing us in order to love him. The reason why he wants us to love him is because we need it. Otherwise, we'll, we'll attach our affections and loves to someone or something else that will ultimately destroy us because you're not created to love the things you're created to love him. Listen how Joe Rigney puts this. This is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing each other, loving each other, delighting in each other from all eternity with no needs, no wants, no lack, complete and total and infinite happiness. This is who God is. Absentee, Lord, hardly. Generic watchmaker, not a chance. He's a jealous husband, a consuming fire, a cloud of glory that outshines the sun. He's a thundering tornado of knowledge and love and joy and life. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit so love the fullness of their shared life that they think it fitting and right that such glorious knowledge and love and joy overflow. So what do they do? They make a world to contain it. They create vessels to hold the fullness of their divine joy. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit like an indie rock band that loves their music so much that they decide to take a show on the road, only this band creates an audience from nothing. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Triune God is like a husband and wife who love one another deeply and love their relationship and shared life so much that they decide to bring children into it. Only this triune couple creates children from nothing. You see what God's wanting to do? He's wanting to move your heart. He's wanting to move your affections. That's why I think we lose Genesis 1 and 2 over the debates over young earth and old earth and blah, 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 argue, 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 argue. It's like, dude, you're forgetting the whole point of Genesis 1 and 2. It's not to win an argument, but that your heart would be moved to love a father who spoke all this into existence, the beauty of it. I'm not saying that these debates are not in someone important, but I've never found someone who falls deeply in love with God because they learned that God created in six literal days. But when you understand him as a father and he creates out of an overflow of joy and love 
and beauty. It draws your heart to me. We have a, um, a little 25 mile an hour speed limit in our neighborhood. Anybody got that in your neighborhood? Maybe it's 20. We don't have any speed bumps, which I'm happy for that. I think the association is trying to get some speed bumps. I'm a big fan of the speed bumps, all right? So when you go into our neighborhood, there's about 200 yards that straight stretch before you get to a stop sign. And it's crazy how fast you can get to 45 there. I mean, you can get there really fast. And I'm not even trying. Like, I'm not trying. It's like, I've got to get to 45 as fast as I possibly can. It's just, you know how it is. You just start thinking about other things. Think about going home or you think about going to work and your mind starts racing. And next thing you know, you're going 45. And sure enough, there's, there's always from time to time, and I'm thankful for this person, thankful for the individual that's there because we need them there, right? So that we all obey the speed limit. So time to time, there's always a police officer that's just tucked away enough. <laughs> tucked away enough. I mean, they're really stealthy. If you're a police officer here, love you. Praise God for you guys, seriously. Um, but they are, they're just tucked away enough to where when you are thinking about other things and you're going 45, it's like, oh, it's like you see them, right? You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's done it in here. And as soon as that happens, what are you doing? Dear God, please me, and then I pull us over, right? <laughs> if you don't pray, choose the time you start praying, amen? And sure enough, there have been plenty of times when I've slammed on the brakes enough and kind of done this little wave and <laughs> they wave back. And then there's been other times when I've gotten pulled over, a few, few times maybe. <laughs> I don't know if I've gotten a ticket. I can't remember. I may have gotten one. Um, but there's been several times when he pulls me over. Hey, you know how fast you're going? Well, I know I wasn't going 25, because if I was going 25, you wouldn't have pulled me over. And then I, just, I don't say it like that, obviously. That would be a little smart alecky. Um, and then they'll go back there and write you a warning or whatever, and you give it back. Now, when you walk away or you drive away and the person didn't pull you over or you kind of got away, or, or if they did and they gave you like a warning, what do you feel in your heart? Gratitude, right? I'm thankful. But I don't love the cop. So follow me. So if God is first the creator, first and foremost, the creator, ruler, this sort of um, cosmic cop, and my problem is that I've broken the rules, then the only salvation that he can offer is to forgive me and treat me as if I'd kept the rules. Michael Reeves, in his great book called Delighting in the Trinity and would highly recommend it, says this. So then, if salvation means God letting me off and counting me as a law-abiding citizen, then gratitude is all I have. In other words, I can never really and fully love the God who is essentially just the ruler and that ironically means I can never keep the greatest command to love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, soul, and strength. See, if you're anything like me, maybe you grew up in a tradition where whether it was intentional or unintentional, it still got in, right? It, it got in there that you had this view of God that he's some kind of divine judge, this kind of cosmic cop that's just waiting for you to break the rules. 
And when you do, he just comes in and hammers you. It cultivates gratitude, doesn't it? But it doesn't cultivate love. Look, I'm not denying that God is not creator, almighty, powerful, ruler, king. Yes, I, he is that. But he's first a father, and he creates as a father. He rules as a father, and that's really different. So he loves as a father. He protects as a father. He cares as a father, and he delights as a father. Yes, sin has messed us up. It's messed this relation up. It's severed this relation. We, we don't have the capacity to see the goodness of God as a father. We can't see it. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, right? For God so loved the world. For God the Father so loved the world, so loved the world, the world, everyone, the world. We don't have to parse that out for crying out loud. The world. What did he do? He gave. That's what a father does. He gives. A healthy father gives. He's generous. He's open-handed. He gave his only son, the son that he eternally loved and has been eternally loving for all eternity, gave his only son so that whoever believes, puts their trust and faith in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. And that eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts right now. And that eternal life is that you get to know God as father, as father. What did Paul said? You get to call him Abba. Daddy, what did Jesus say when he said, hey, teach us how to pray? Disciples came to him. Teach us how to pray. What does he say? He say, oh, God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, the, the most majestic, blah, blah, blah. No, he said, our Father. He loves, he cares, he disciplines, he delights in you as a father. Michael Reeves goes on and says this. This God simply will not fit into the mold of any other. Amen. For the Trinity is not some inessential add-on to God, some optional software that can be plugged into him. At bottom, this God is different. For at bottom, he is not first creator, ruler, even God in some abstract sense. He is Father, loving and giving life to his Son and in the fellowship of the Spirit, a God who is in himself love, who before all things could never be anything but love. Having such a God, I love that, happily changes everything. So yes, God is creator and therefore we all belong to him, but also or and also first and foremost, he is triune, which means that he is eternally existed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I'll end with this. One of the reasons I think this is so important for us when we think about God as Father is because I do think it speaks into the deep longings that we have as human beings. And that deep longing that we have as human beings made in the image of God. And I'm not trying to downplay the role of moms in a child's life. They are huge and equal of importance, right? It is. 
And at the same time, there is something in all of us, no matter how old you are, that we want to hear our Father's blessing. Our earthly Father's blessing. My dad passed away 18 years ago in 2003. And even as a middle-aged man, 51 years old, you think I would get over this. And my dad, man, he was not in any stretch of the imagination perfect. Had his issues and problems and stuff and wounded me and hurt me. And at the same time, he, he did the best he could. And there are days where I would just love to hear my dad Look at me in the eye. He was short. You'd have to look up. A little pudgy. It's hard to get your arms all the way around him. And just say, I'm proud of you, son. I'm really proud of you. And my guess, that's almost all of us in this room. something about the blessing of a father. And here's the good news, and I'm not trying to make this little quick switch here to make it, I don't know, sometimes I feel like the switch makes it feel trite. I don't mean to make it feel trite at all. I'm wanting us to sit in the good news of the gospel, and the good news of the gospel is that in and through Jesus, it's free. We trust him. That's it. We get adopted into the family of God, and every single morning, guys, if you are in Christ, here's what he's saying. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm really proud of you. I love you. I care for you. And I delight in you. And I don't know about you, but that kind of mindset changes everything, right? I think that's what Michael's trying to get after. Having such a God happily changes everything. May God, by his grace, help us to live into that. Let's pray. So let's just take a few minutes here just to be still and quiet. And let's hear from our Father. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.